This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee. I'm an associate digital media producer here at Christianity Today. I am under the weather. I am going to cough on this episode. Don't worry, you're not going to get sick. Mark, (laughs) maybe you'll get sick. Yeah, I don't know if I should be doing this with you. Mark, you're very close to me right now. Yeah, I'll keep my distance. You're also the editor-in-chief. Yeah, but I love your your new voice. It's great. Thank you. Yeah. Especially when it disappears halfway through this. (laughs) Okay. I'm happy to be here, though. I'm happy you're here. All right. So who else is with us? With us today is David Yegnazar. He has served with Elam Ministries uh, for uh, nearly 20 years now, and he was appointed as Executive Director or for American Speak CEO in 2014. He's a native to Iran, and his family's been serving uh, the Iranian church for three generations. Uh, Elam's efforts include training thousands of church leaders in Iran, printing and deploying more than two million scriptures in Persian, planting churches all over the Iran region, serving thousands of poor and persecuted and producing TV programs that are broadcast weekly into Iran and made available online. As you'll hear from the introduction, he's a perfect person for us to have on today to talk about what's going on in Iran. Hi, David. Hi, Morgan, and uh, hi, Mark. Great to uh, have this opportunity to chat with you. So where are you speaking to us from? I am from England. I'm calling from London, England. So um, I will not be catching your cold, hopefully. (laughs) Forgive me if I'm wrong. Isn't the UK in the midst of getting some sort of awesome winter storm right now? We are, actually. There's been uh, some uh, very strong winds and and storms uh, going on. I'm I'm not near the worst of it, so... But yes, some of it, some of England is being battered by the by the winds. Yeah, well, we just came out of a sub-zero streak here, so it was up to a balmy fourteen degrees this morning. So that was a good thing. It's true, fourteen <laughs> yeah. degrees Fahrenheit. We should just clarify yeah, exactly. here, not Celsius. That is balmy then. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, what are we talking about today, Mark? Since last Thursday, thousands of Iranians have been protesting their government, spurred by anger over a weak economy and increasing fuel and food prices, as well as by frustration that loosening economic sanctions have had little effect on their everyday life. These are the largest protests in Iran since 2009's Green Movement, and clashes at the protests have left nearly two dozen dead. A country of 80 million, the country is more than 99% Muslim. Christians make up less than 1% of the population. Many are of Armenian and Assyrian descent. Persecution group Open Doors ranked Iran number eight on its 2017 list of countries where it's hardest to be Christian. In its most recent report, it noted that, quote, converts to Christianity from Islam make up the largest group of Christians and experience the most persecution. Other Protestant Christian communities who evangelize Muslims are the second most persecuted group. Arrest and violence are commonplace for anyone engaged in Christian ministry or evangelism, end quote. With Iran in the headlines this week, and actually last, we'd like to focus on how Christians view and are responding to the civil unrest in the country. So, we'll take a break here from our topic to remind everyone that Christianity Today is just one great magazine, and if you're not subscribing, your life is the lesser for it. What's, the, what's in the current issue, Morgan? 
Yeah. And so I know that we are always trying to have do a plug to get people to subscribe to the magazine physically. And I think that actually our January, February issue is one of those issues that I really want to stress. It's really worth it. Our cover story is about someone who lived in the South Pole on Antarctica for a number of months. And we have some incredible photography that was taken down there of just some amazing things of the north. Well, I guess they're not the northern lights and they're the South Pole. Aurora Borealis. And um, yeah, it's insane just to think of what the night sky can look like. This piece is obviously not just some piece that you would find in Smithsonian or Scientific America about the South Pole, but specifically about what spirituality can look like when you're in such a remote place. Yeah, I think the the uh, cover title and deck is, is very intriguing. Uh, the, the Lord of the Night, in God there is no darkness, but in darkness I saw God everywhere. So that's a really interesting thesis and a really fine, finely written article. Exactly. And so it was written last summer for those of us who are in the Northern Hemisphere, which of course is when Antarctica experiences their winter in complete darkness for a long time. I will say reading this, I was like, all right, I'm going to read this and, and think about if I would want to go on those Mars trips, you know, when you're like in the very small, you have a confined group of people that you can talk to because that's kind of what his Antarctic experience was like too. Okay, if you'd like to read that, and again, I highly recommend actually getting the tangible magazine issue. You can go to orderct.com slash quick to listen. That's orderct.com slash quick to listen. All right, let's get on with this discussion. All right. So, David, I think, honestly, we're just going to want a lot of background for this issue. So maybe you can tell us about how long Christianity has existed in Persia. Uh, well, that's a good question. Actually, um, of course, a lot of the Bible uh, is written in Persia from the time of the exile. You have Daniel, you have Esther, the story of Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah. Uh, you have King Cyrus who helped the uh, Jews. And so you've got, uh, got a lot of rich history. Uh, in Old Testament times, and of course from time of Jesus and actually uh, Acts chapter 2, the time when the Holy Spirit came on uh, the disciples, right there in Acts chapter 2, you have the Medes, the Parthians, and the Elamites all heard the disciples speaking in tongues in their languages, and so they were there on the day of Pentecost, and it's believed they went back from there and, and took the gospel back to Persia, modern-day Iran. You've had a church in Iran, really, uh, from the second century, the Nestorian Church of the East, um, which is uh, related to the Assyrians. Um, they've been there. The Iranian church was the first to send the gospel to, to China and, in, and Indonesia. And so the Iranian church was very active in the early centuries uh, until Islam came later on in the 7th, 8th centuries. You, you said that the, the church um, had a much more diminished presence when Islam spread into that part of the world. That's right. Did the church go away completely, or what happened after that? Yeah, so, I mean, the Assyrian church has continued. Uh, the Armenian church has been there for a few hundred years. They uh, have their services, they have their church language, is a, is a different language to Persian. So they have existed, but they've existed as a minority group that has not been allowed or um, has not engaged in outreach and evangelism to uh, Iranians, to Persians, people from a Muslim background. So Though there has been an historic church in Iran um, since Islam came to Iran and um, became the religion of Iran, um, there's been very little church growth among the people from a Muslim background. But what happened was in 1979, you had the Islamic Revolution. And at that time, they got rid of 2,500 years of monarchy in Iran. 
and they established a hardline regime. At that time, there was a very, very small church. You had the Armenians, you had the Assyrians, but in terms of people from a Muslim background who'd come to Christ, in 1979, there were about 500 Christians from a Muslim background. And that was after about 100 years of missionary work. You had the Presbyterians, you had the Anglicans, Assemblies of God, and some other mission groups had gone to Iran. But uh, after all that time, there were only about 500 Christians from a Muslim background. So when the Islamic Revolution took place, many people felt that uh, that small church would wither away and die. But instead, the opposite has actually happened. And Iranians have become the most open Muslim people to the gospel. And in fact, Iran has become, according to uh, books like Operation World and other researchers, has become the fastest growing church in the world today. So um, whereas 500 Christians from a Muslim background at that time, nearly 40 years ago today, the most conservative number would be about four or 500,000. Wow. Many people say more than a million have come to Christ. It's hard to know the exact numbers, but the reality that we know is that many, many, many are coming to Christ, um, believing in Jesus, and the Church is growing. Yeah, what accounts for that sudden flip from being resistant to the Gospel to being very open to it? Well, that's a great question. Um, Basically, what has happened is people have seen the real face of the religion of Iran. Uh, It was an Islamic revolution, and a lot of things were promised in the name of Islam, and People had a dream for a greater future for Iran, but their dream has really become a nightmare, and uh, they've suffered greatly. There's been political um, repression, a lot of economic corruption, a lot of social problems, all in the name of Islam. It's a theocracy, and so people have become disillusioned with their religion and with the regime, and have been looking for alternatives. At the same time, you've had a very, very courageous church that has been willing to preach the gospel, has been willing to suffer for the gospel and uh, tell people about Jesus. And as a result, many, many people have come to know the Lord. So when we're talking about the Assyrian church, we had some people that were Iraqi Christians in our podcast last year. And I'm just trying to understand, this is the same population these are Middle Eastern Christians that are kind of spread all over the region? There are historic Christians um, in that whole region um, and historic churches, historic Christians that have existed under uh, Islamic societies. Uh, but those churches have all been restricted in how much they can do, particularly within people from a Muslim background. So all the historic churches in the Muslim world have been allowed to exist within their own communities. As long as they stay within their communities, as long as they don't try and reach out to other communities, they've been allowed to exist. So the there's historic churches all over the region, yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. So you've said that there's been some disenchantment with what the government has done and that that particular political disenchantment is actually what has opened people up to Christianity? Yes, I think um, the reality is that people have seen um, their religious leaders. So Iran's revolution was was um, led by religious rulers. So the ayatollahs, you've heard the word ayatollah. Ayatollah is the highest position in the Shia Islam religion. And so the Ayatollah Khomeini led the revolution in 1979 as a uh, spokesperson for God. And um, currently the uh, Ayatollah uh, Khamenei, similar name but different person, is the supreme ruler. And he is, again, a representative of God. And therefore, all that happens, uh, people are 
have been faced with the reality of what uh, the religion is and how their leaders have worked and therefore have come to a conclusion that they don't believe it. Uh, many, many people have come to that conclusion. And there's a great spiritual hunger, great spiritual uh, desire to know the truth. And so that has been one of the reasons that the people of Iran, many people in Iran have come to know the Lord Jesus. Since the revolution, how would you characterize the government's stance on Christianity? The government has definitely been opposed to the church. They have allowed historic churches to continue, but any Muslim who has become a Christian faces uh, restrictions. Any church that's involved in reaching Persians is restricted. So Bibles are banned, pastors are spied on, uh, Christians have been arrested in hundreds, and there have been uh, a number of church leaders who've been martyred because of their Christian faith and um, their involvement in trying to take the gospel to the Persian-speaking community. So if, you, if you're taking the gospel to any Persian speakers, by definition, you're reaching out to Muslims, uh, and therefore that's considered um, something that the government would oppose. So this church growth is going on in the midst of this this context. Exactly, yeah. So the, the church growth has, has happened in the midst of the persecution, and, the, and maybe because of the persecution, um, God works in mysterious ways. So the church has grown in the midst of it. It is not uh, church growth in buildings, it's house churches, it's underground churches, uh, sometimes it's uh, park churches or car churches, people driving around in cars and meeting together, worshiping, praying, sharing the Word of God. So all sorts of uh, ways that they are meeting together in order to um, to grow in, in their faith and to encourage one another. So are the current uh, political protests kind of related to this sense to this overall sense of dissatisfaction in the country? Yeah, absolutely. the 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 current protests, and there have been protests over the years, but the current protests actually started. Uh, uh, I think 28th of December uh, in, in various towns and cities. It was really a protest that uh, were centered on this time on economic grievances following the announcement of a new budget. It was mainly the, reportedly mainly the lower class and unemployed people in poorer neighborhoods, but that started something and it, uh, many others have joined it from different parts of society, aspects of society. And um, it's not just about econ uh, economics now, it's about, uh, it's a broader anti-regime, anti-revolutionary demonstration. And there are some really remarkable images, unprecedented images of people tearing down posters of Ayatollah Khomeini, of the current supreme ruler, Ayatollah Khamenei. And so, um, yeah, it's, you know, it is well documented that the vast majority of Iranian people are disillusioned with the theocratic regime. They're angry with the religious rulers, and um, they've suffered political repression, as I've said, the, the abuse of basic human rights. And um, it's common knowledge for people in Iran that the oppression, economic corruption, are endemic in, in the authority structures. And um, so there's a, there is a deep disillusionment with the people, which is why you're, you're seeing what you're seeing on your screens this uh, last few days. I hate to say, ask a question about what do Christians think, but uh, how would you break down Christian response to these protests? Are they participating in them? Are they lying low? Are some really active? Well, some I, I mean, I, I don't know if they're on the streets or what they're doing. I, I I don't think they're involved in the violence, but certainly what uh, Christians really are asking for is, is for people to obviously pray for Iran at this time. Uh, one interesting thing is that they are aware that the current situation 
in Iran has led to openness of the, for the gospel. So many of them wouldn't have been Christians if this hadn't happened in a sense, because um, that's what's caused their interest or their disillusionment with uh, Islam, their interest in the gospel. But in terms of this situation, what, what Iranian Christians really want is they want the leadership of Iran to be righteous. Um, they want the people of Iran to be free from oppression. Um, and they want the, the leaders to be just in their leadership. Uh, at the same time, they certainly don't want Iran to descend into violence and anarchy. Uh, they don't want bloodshed. So it is a, it's, a, it's a very delicate situation. I don't know if um, I would say, of course, people have different political views, but in terms of the regime, um, what people are asking, and, and the reality is that people have suffered. And so they want to see the government respect and honor the people of Iran. This episode is brought to you by Stitch Fix. Love trying new fashion trends, but find it all a little intimidating? With Stitch Fix, refreshing your wardrobe has never been easier. They figured out the new 2024 trends, so you don't have to. Just give your stylist your size, style, and budget preferences, and they'll send you five just-for-you pieces, plus outfit recommendations and pro styling advice. Refresh your 2024 wardrobe now and get started today at stitchfix.com. When we think about the converts or these Christian converts, who exactly are we talking about? Are we thinking that there are more women than men or that these represent the best educated Iranians or their lower class? Can you tell us a little bit about, more about what this population looks like? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the church, actually, what's interesting about the church in Iran, it's it's not just one aspect of society. It's not just the rich or the or just the poor. It's not just the old or the young. People from all aspects of society have come to faith. There are uh, educated people, there are professors, there are doctors, there are some uneducated people, there are some uh, people from the cities, from the villages. So Christianity really has appealed right across um, society. Of course, there are a lot of young people in Iran, and so many young people have come to faith as well. Um, there are probably more, there are more women than men um, who have come to faith. Maybe 60% are women, but there are still a lot of men who've come to faith as well. So it's a good spread, I would say. But of course, there's many, many, the reality is there, it reflects actual society in Iran where many of the people are less uh, well off and um, don't have the opportunities of the rich. You had mentioned earlier the fact that there were these 500 Christians back when the revolution happened. I just want to make sure I'm understanding this. Did After the revolution happened, these missionaries were expelled? or did... Yes, yeah. So when, when the revolution took place, all the missionaries, any foreign missionaries were kicked out. Any, so all the Anglicans uh, have been able to stay because they have church buildings um, and local Persian leadership. But any Western uh, missionaries were expelled. So yeah, the support from the, the you know churches were receiving from missionaries uh, was ended. So the the people that have done almost all the converting or are responsible for all these conversions since then came from that five hundred. Well, from the five hundred or from Armenian Christians, from uh, Assyrian Christians who were courageous enough to get involved in evangelism and discipleship uh, among Persian speakers. So uh, there was a, a courageous church uh, and a lot of Armenian Christians. Um, uh, one well-known is Haikov Sepian Mer, who was martyred in 1994, who was a leader of the Assemblies of God. He was in Iran when the revolution took place. And, and others like him, he was, he was one who was martyred. Tatios Mikalyan, who was a Presbyterian minister, um, he's also Armenian. 
So Armenian Christians who uh, decided to reach out to the Muslim community despite the restrictions and the threat of persecution. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because, as you've noted previously, most of the times when I'm reading stories about Middle Eastern Christians, they don't often have that evangelistic tendency are you are you aware of what kind of encourage these churches to be more evangelistic rather than just kind of stay on the sidelines? Yeah, well, actually, Morgan, I, I think you're absolutely right. The reality is that the reason that we haven't seen church growth in the Muslim world, and I think this is really important for uh, the listeners, is because Christians, historic churches, have really not engaged in evangelism and outreach to the Muslim community because of the threat of persecution, because of the relationships that they've had at centuries old. And, and basically, at the heart of it, when you look at it, it's really because a, a lack of love and a lack of belief that the gospel is for all people. The Armenians um, in Iran, in particular, started reaching out uh, really as a result of prayer. Uh, a lot of prayer in the 1940s and 1950s, 1950s, 1960s, uh, a lot of prayer for the people of Iran. My grandfather came to know the Lord in Iran in the 1930s and 1950s. He started a prayer meeting in his home. They prayed every day without fail for over four years. They prayed uh, with tears for the country of Iran. And out of that number of different people, uh, their heart for reaching to the uh, reaching to the community, reaching people in the community with the gospel, uh, their heart for that was born in those meetings. And so there's been a deep evangelistic passion that has been born out of prayer uh, for the people of Iran. And so they've just gone for it. I've, I mean, I've, I've traveled around the world. I've seen churches all over. And really, the people of Iran have a, a great passion for evangelism. And I think it goes with back to those um to the prayer movement that uh, was there in the 1950s and 60s and it really is still a very very uh, a praying church yeah that is an impressive reality speaking as a really bad christian myself i can see the temptation of just wanting to hunker down and not cause many problems as long as i'm allowed to worship with my fellow believers and carry on my life without being hassled i would be tempted to just live that life and it's very admirable and courageous it's obviously a gift of the holy spirit that uh these group of evangelists has been raised up it's just very impressive well it is a gift of the spirit it is uh, the courage the faith uh, but it does come out of prayer and i think when we pray we are able to, and really in the presence of God, sense his heart, his passion, study his word and understand what he's calling us to, then that it becomes clear and then we're empowered to do what we need to do. Would you mind going into depth a little bit more about how your grandfather found Christ? Yeah, my grandfather is uh, was also from an Armenian background. Um, he was actually an atheist, really, but uh, he felt... Um, he felt the Lord speak to him one day, and uh, he decided to follow follow the Lord, and he fell in love with the Lord. He uh, was engaged at the time. He told my grandmother, he said that he decided to follow Jesus Christ, and he understood that she didn't want to marry him anymore, but she decided that she did want to marry him, and she also met the Lord. And they both, um, so I never met my grandmother. She passed away uh, years before I died. Um, but she was, uh, by all accounts, uh, an incredible woman, a lot of love, uh, hosted a prayer meeting in her home every day without fail for over four years. So um, she had passion. You know, we've been talking about the different ways that Iranians are encountering the gospel. And it seems that one of the ways that you guys also spread that message is through TV programs. Yes. Yeah. And also through online material. Has that kind of changed also as people's awareness of faith? Well, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the gospel is spread in, in different ways. Number one, through people on the ground. Uh, secondly, through uh, Bible distribution, a massive, massive number of uh, scriptures. We've been able to print a couple of million copies of the scriptures. So many, many people in Iran have got the scriptures. It's something that people are interested in getting hold of. It's possibly the most popular book in Iran at this time, the Bible. Um, they're certainly the most sought after. And then another way is through the media. So TV and, of course, the Internet. And many, many people are searching or finding. There's so many stories and testimonies of people who've come across the message of Christ through TV or on the Internet. Wonderful, wonderful testimonies. And uh, what's wonderful is that you're able to reach into homes that um, would otherwise be impossible to reach. And so it is going all over Iran. Uh, people responding to different kinds of programs. There are programs for different groups, uh, men, women, children, as uh, music programs, worship programs, Bible teaching programs, evangelistic testimony programs. People are able to watch uh, daily in Iran. Um, and so, yes, people are interested. And we know that uh, many, many people in Iran, probably several million, are uh, at least at some point during uh, a month are um, being touched with some kind of Christian media. So, How does that work in Iran when reaching out is still considered illegal? Are these uh, broadcast in from other countries? or That's correct, yeah. So the programs are made outside the country, broadcast in by satellite TV. And of course, through the internet, uh, it's all from outside and people have access to the different and the social media websites. And uh, many, many Iranians are coming to Christ outside the country as well. Refugees, millions have left Iran over the years. They've come to faith outside and then they're all one Facebook post away from sharing the gospel with dozens of people back home. And so through social media, many, many people have heard the gospel so as how, well. So how do these, uh, so someone writes and says, thank you for this TV program. I decided to give my life to Christ. I'm living in this such and such city. Is there a way to hook them up to with other Christians or a ch local church? Or how does that work? No, generally they're not connected with uh, immediately with a physical church. They may be connected to an internet church or many, many internet churches that meet daily, really. Every, every single day, there are internet churches or groups of people meeting on the internet with somebody from outside, teaching them the Bible, leading them in worship, encouraging them to grow as disciples. So usually, if somebody comes to know the Lord through TV or the internet, uh, they're connected to internet groups uh, with the goal of eventually connecting them or helping them establish a local physical church. So you're telling me I'm going to have to revise my opinion about internet church. <laughs> which I've been not too thrilled about. <laughs> Fair enough. Lord works in ways beyond my, without my permission. He keeps doing things without my permission. Yeah. You know, I mean, the reality is you need to be, ideally, you want people to meet physically. Right. Yeah, of course. When they're not able to, the internet does provide a very, very um, useful way of people learning, growing, receiving Bible teaching, receiving encouragement, and even community where they're able to communicate with others and um, they get to know each other to a certain extent. But at the end of the day, our goal is to plant physical churches where people are able to worship, are able to study the Bible together, are able to witness, are able to uh, study uh, the Word and to fellowship, take communion, um, baptism. So uh, the government, I take it, does not have the ability to monitor or shut down such sites? Um, the government is always trying to restrict, um, and so it has tries to scramble TV signals. It does block certain websites, uh, but certain social media channels are used by 
tens of millions of people inside the country. So it's not possible for them to control the whole thing. So many of our listeners, the majority of our listeners are Americans. And as I'm sure everyone here is aware, the United States has frequently been odds at odds with Iran over the past decades. Well, certainly since 79 a long with the time. Iranian revolution and the takeover of the American embassy. Yep. So I think that just that status in in tandem with the fact that I think that many Americans also think that Iran is full of Arabs, which it's not. Anyway, I think there's lots of misconceptions about Iran that are held by Americans. And so I'm wondering if there's some misconceptions that you would like to clear up here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the reality is that people have what they uh, believe, what they're generally given in the media and the news. Iranians love Americans. If you go into the streets of Iran today and you ask them about um, America, they really love Americans. There is a good actual connection. I've seen many, 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 many times Iranians and Americans together. And the Iranians love the Americans. Um, we're talking about government and we're talking about an ideology that uh, some of the leadership of Iran have espoused over the years, last four decades. And that has characterized the whole of Iran, which of course is not the whole of the people. I guarantee, I can guarantee that if you were there today, the people on the streets would welcome you, uh, Morgan, Mark, they would welcome you into their homes, they'd take you, they'd offer you a wonderful meal, and Persian food is very, very delicious, and um, you would ha you'd be very warmly welcomed. I know many Americans who've gone into Iran and um, have been astounded at, at the warm welcome. Uh, like you say, Iranians are not Arabs, they, they're a different race of people, they speak a different language, so that's one misconception. And, and the people are very open. The people are very open. I, I would also say that if you had 100 Americans who are not Christians and 100 Iranians, and you shared the gospel with the Iranians, you would have more fruit among the Iranians than with the non-Christian Americans. Uh, so there's a real interest in knowing the gospel, understanding who Jesus is, and um, that's why so many are coming to faith. Awesome. Thank you very much for sharing with us, David. Iran is definitely on a, a list of countries I want to go to, though I know it's not very cheap or easy to enter the country right now. I was talking about it with my roommate yesterday. So anyway, do, doing this podcast is really great to discuss this country more. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, it's been uh, great to share about Iran with you. All right. Now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, which is when everyone gets to share something that is bringing them joy this week. Mark, you ready to go? Uh, probably my, you know, everyone knows that I've been working on my physique. <laughs> Does everyone know? Everyone, I don't know. I've said it on the show a lot of times in terms of my precious moments. But when you work on something for six or eight months, which I have been, I was able to, I did a benchmark test with a program I'm following, and I was able to do a number of physical exercises, pull-ups, chin-ups, deadlifts at weights that were unimaginable to me six or eight months ago. So I was pretty proud of myself. Did you have like a program that you did? Yes. I follow a program called Nerd Fitness Academy. <laughs> and it works. And it works. If you follow there, they have seven levels of weightlifting, and you if, you if you get through weight level one, you take a test to see if you can go to level two once you're past that test, and they just work the different muscles of your body appropriately, and I'm at level seven now, so I, I don't know what I'm going to do once. Yeah, what do they recommend once you hit that level? Well, I think they're going to recommend I, uh, I sign up for a personal trainer online, so I'm going to actually have a conversation about that to see if it's something I want to do. Anyway, that was a a small and insignificant thing when compared to world problems, but it made me feel pretty good. Congrats. 
All right. Tell people where they can get your newsletter. Uh, the newsletter is called The Galley Report, G-A-L-L-I, and it's published every Friday. And you can get it by going to Christianity Today slash The Galley Report. Christianity.com slash The Galley Report. Right. And it is a newsletter where I link to articles and comment on them. And this week's comment, I just linked to two articles that I think that are a little longer than normal, but they're very interesting. Okay, David. Well, it's obviously the beginning of the year. I've had a, a good time with my family up, um, over Christmas and New Year. We were able to um, just have some good family time, um, also do some ministry at a couple of churches. So it was uh, it was a fabulous, fabulous few days. Um, I'm rejoicing that uh, we got to see many uh, Iranians come to know the Lord over the Christmas period through different aspects of the ministry. Thousands of uh, Iranians uh, heard the gospel for the first time at different church services both in uh, well uh, house group house church meetings inside the country and then other churches in the region where Iranians are uh, and many many have come to faith so we're very very uh, grateful for that do you have any places on social media or any websites you want our listeners to check out yes they so they can uh, check out elam.com um, which uh, will tell people much more about the church in Iran, about what Elam Ministries does. Uh, you can follow us on, on Twitter and, and Facebook as well. We have, uh, if you go to elam.com, you'll be able to follow different links to different uh, media channels and uh, get prayer updates for Iran and uh, keep track of what's going on. So elam.com, E-L-A-M.com. What does that mean? Elam is a Bible word for one of the regions of Iran. Queen Esther was from Elam. Kususa was the capital of Elam. And in Jeremiah chapter 49, verses 38 and 39, there's a prophecy about Elam in which the Lord says he will establish his throne in Elam in days to come. He will restore the fortunes of Elam. And on the day of Pentecost, as I said, right at the beginning, uh, you had the Medes, the Parthians, and the Elamites present uh, when the Holy Spirit fell. Awesome. All right. My precious moment is that last night and this morning, I listened to a podcast called Rough Translation. It's actually a very interesting podcast. The first episode that I listened to was about a Syrian refugee who moves to Germany and he employs a dating coach to help him figure out how to connect with German women and learn their cultural cues. As part of that, he also goes to improv class because there's an improv class that they've set up in Germany for native Germans and for refugees who have come in to give them chances to interact with each other. So that was a really cool thing to learn about. And then this morning, I listened to one that was about this controversy in India about yoga that's going on right now and whether yoga is a physical activity or a religious practice. Also very interesting. So the podcast is called Rough Translation, and I think it's great. I'll probably finish all the episodes the next couple of weeks. People can find me on Twitter at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. All right, that is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen and putting up with my voice. Again, you can go to orderct.com slash quick to listen if you would like to subscribe to our magazine, which, again, is a big way to support the show. Another way to support the show is by leaving us reviews, which you can do on Apple Podcasts. I really, really recommend if you would like to leave reviews to put them. Thank you for everyone who has left reviews. This podcast is produced by myself, Richard Clark, and Cray Allred. And it is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you want to get your podcast, you can get them there. We will see you all next week.